0: Y'all saw Mr. Jack Allen up here this week, and he's been singing a long time. He said, man, I'm nervous. I know the feeling. I always get nervous every time I get up here. It never fails. I saw Miss Barbara. I told y'all not long ago, she's, she's been singing a long time, too. And she stands up here and goes, ah, I'm nervous. I don't feel quite so bad coming to hearing it from him, too, but I am a little nervous. So. Y'all pray for me. What heaven means to me. country where no twilight shadows deep unending day where night will never be a city where no storm clouds ever gather oh this is just what heaven around the glassy sea. We'll join our loved ones and crown Christ forever. Yes, this is just what heaven see the face of Jesus, before whose image other loves I'll flee, and when they crown Him King of all, I'll be there, for this is just what heaven means to just what heaven means to me. We'll join our loved ones and crown Christ forever. Oh, this is just what heaven means to
1: The aldermen, aldermans and I go way back, and uh, to way back whenever I first met Karen, and uh, so 30 years ago uh, is whenever we first met. They had just got married. It's not quite 30 years ago, but and uh, Karen and I've been seeing each other for 28 years now, and uh, so it's right there. And Jeff had surrendered to preach, I think, just ahead of me and a uh, uh, little ways, and so he's been in ministry a little bit longer than I have, and so I, I love their family and uh, have been seeing them a while, and it's great, lost track with them and then their son Cody, and uh, he had surrendered to preach, he's going to, I asked him, just kind of help catch us up and uh, what the Lord's been doing in his life and what he's had going on and what he's got going on and and, uh, and then preached to us, Brother Cody. So, Cody Alderman, come bring us a portion of God's word.
2: Um, like Brother Michael said, we just kind of lost touch. And I was actually at Cavi's graduation uh, a few weeks ago. He was like, you want to come preach Sunday night? I was like, I got nothing, literally nothing else to do. So, yeah, I'll come down for a little while. Um, but uh, i just going to catch you up. Um, I graduated May the 10th from Arkansas Tech University with a, a bachelor's degree in economics and finance. Um, my goal is to never use it, just to kind of do this stuff for the rest of my life. Um, so, yeah, that's uh, – and I'm working right now at uh, First Landmark in Sheridan and um, just kind of interning with the youth pastor there and just kind of just kind of trying to shift my gears um, because, you know, coming out of school, you're just focused on school still, and it just takes a while to kind of get out of that mindset. And so I'm just kind of using this summer just to kind of um, – not necessarily take time off, but to kind of go with things at a slower pace, so I can get my focus back um, toward, towards ministry um, and that 's literally all that 's going on in my life, in my life at this point um, so i 'm going to be in First Timothy chapter one tonight if you don 't mind turning there. Um. And I'll start at verse 12. If you have little headings in your Bible, it says Christ Jesus came to save sinners. That's not what I'm going to talk about at all tonight. Um, So (laughs) just a little heads up there. Uh, Just a little background on 1 Timothy. Um, 1 Timothy is written by Paul to Timothy while he was at Ephesus. uh, Mainly just to give him encouragement and advice on how to handle the issues and and feelings of dissent that were arising in the church. Timothy was a a young pastor that kind of came in after Paul after he uh, planted a few churches. And so he just came in and kind of just took over that church, and already things are just starting to kind of fall apart at Ephesus. So most of Paul's letters written to churches are just kind of, you know, just kind of getting them back into into where they're supposed to be. Um, and so this book obviously takes on a normal uh, outline of a New Testament epistle, and it just has an intro and body and conclusion and just all that kind of stuff. But I'm just going to focus on verses 12 through um, 17 of chapter 1. And this is, to me, um, you know, it has the heading of Christ Jesus came to the sinners. But to me, I kind of had a different perspective on it. It just, to me, it's just talking about how Paul has come from, you know, his terrible background. And through the power of Christ and through the power of, of his grace and mercy, he's become this great minister. And so I'm just going to go ahead and read right through it, and then we'll come back. Um, so, verse 12 says, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, a prosecutor, and an insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted iteratively in an unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. This thing is trustworthy and deserving and full of acceptance. Like Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am foremost. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, and the only God, be honor and glory forever. Amen. And so in verse 12, Paul, um, as he usually does, is is, is very humble. He's just kind of showing out his humility and is kind of pointing back to everything that he's done in his ministry um, through Christ. That he says that God has given him strength through Christ Jesus and his Lord. And so most of Paul's writings, he's he very humble um, and make sure to point out that everything that he's done in, in christ's service has not been because of his education in, in the law of the Old Testament, as you know, he was a Pharisee before he was converted, and not in his ability to speak or in his own strength, or just anything that he's done. everything has been in christ's power. so that just kind of sets the tone for the rest of this for the rest of this passage. and the last part of that verse is, is um, <clears throat> because he judged me faithful and appointed me to his service. Well, the first point of this sermon is that God does the calling. And sometimes we don't understand it at all. Have, has anybody ever told you that so and so is preaching at whatever church? And you just kind of scratch your head and you're like, "Really?" Like that's kind of what's happening in, in Saul's case. Um, God called Saul out of out of his life, and everybody knows the conversion story of of Saul in Acts nine. And um, at the end, whenever Saul is converted and in, into Paul, and God has given Paul his his orders, he tells Ananias to go you know, bring him out of out of the house so he can go on his work. And Ananias kind of had that same reaction. He's like, I know all the things this guy's done. I know the terrible things he's done in almost pushing your church to extinction. But you still want him to be someone that you want to use. And God has said, yes, I pick these people. You don't pick these people. I'm the one who, who picks, who does my service, and I'm the one who does that. And so Paul says, God has judged me faithful. And so obviously that means that God before... Saul was even converted or born. He knew that Paul would be one of the biggest tools in, in his arsenal for, for his kingdom. And so God knew he'd be an influential member despite his current persecution of his people. And so Saul gave up his high placement in the Jewish community. I mean, like I said, he was a Pharisee. He, he was the Jews' Jew, pretty much. He knew the law in and out. He knew everything you weren't and, weren't, you weren't and were supposed to do. And he abandoned all that because God literally blinded him <laughs> and uh and the Bible is full of parallels and so you have this this example of Saul and Paul and the Old Testament you also had the example of Moses kind of kind of in the same along the same line Moses was set up almost set up to be the next king of of egypt, and he would, he had every whim of his of his desire you know satisfied and those kind of things but um, just in, the, in a moment of passion and in a moment of rage, he killed, he killed an Egyptian. You know, and did the kind of looking around thing, make sure nobody was there. And then he killed him and he ran off into the desert and all this kind of stuff. So Moses gave up all of that. But God chose Moses to lead his people out of Egypt and out of slavery despite his past that he had. Um, so God is able to take us out of those situations that we're in or are currently in or have been in. And God is still able to call people into, into his ministry. And that's kind of my second point, is that God can call and use anyone. In verse 13, going back, we see that though formerly I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent opponent. So Paul knew exactly that he was, <clears throat> that he was come from a from a bad situation. At that time, he didn't know because he thought he was carrying out, when he was Saul and persecuting all this, he thought he was carrying out the will of God because the Jewish community did not believe that that Jesus was the Messiah and had come to fulfill the covenant and, and establish a new, and they thought he was just a, a blasphemer and a liar. And so Saul thought he was carrying out um, the will of God, but he was not. And that's kind of what he's getting at in, in the last part of this verse when he says, I received mercy because I acted ignorantly in an unbelief. Now, he's not making an excuse. He's just trying to draw a contrast between him, himself, who is a true apostle of Christ and who is following God in every step of his life and with the, the false teachers that are currently plaguing Timothy's church, and and Paul does this a lot. He kind of he constantly calls out all the false teachers that that are um, that are taking apart his churches. And when you first read this, you kind of think he's saying that, um, well, I'm excused from those sins because I was ignorant and I I, um, I acted out of not believing in Christ. But actually, what he's doing, he's just kind of you know just contrasting himself. He's not saying that because I. Was a, was a non-believer, I'm excused of that. He's saying because of God's mercy, I'm excused of that. And I've completely turned around since then. I'm now a Christ follower. I'm now living my life for Christ, and I can, I can have freedom in that, and I, can, and I follow that to a T. Whereas these, uh, these false leaders, they were proclaiming to be Christ followers, and yet they were still living lives just as bad, and if not worse in some cases, than Saul was beforehand. And so he's just calling them out like he does in, in, many, of his, in many of his letters. <clears throat> and so that's just to kind of clear up some confusion that might have been there. And so and later in verse 15, I'm just going to get, skip ahead and I'll come back in a little bit. This thing is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I inform most. And like I said, Paul knows the terrible situations that he was in. He knows um, just the terrible things that he had done to God's church. And he is just in awe and amazed by the the extent of mercy and grace that God has extended him to allow him to come and be a uh, be a minister for him so and we know all the great things that Paul has done. He went on very many missionary journeys. he planted i mean who knows how many churches and he and he writes to them and, and he wrote half of the New Testament. Um, you can argue about Hebrews or not, I'm not really settled on that one, but um but yeah, all of these things despite his his past. And so, if God can do this for Paul and Saul, then why do we believe that what we do and how we act changes how effective we are in God's ministry and how God loves us? Um, God's love is unconditional, and the best example you have of this on earth is, is your parents' love. Um, happy Father's Day, by the way. I meant to start out with that, but I forgot about it. But, uh, um, so, the best example you have of that is, is your parents' love. Like, I've done so many stupid things in my life, and my mom and dad can tell you multiple, I'm sure. And, um, I've just done so many things against them, uh, done exactly the opposite of what they told me to do, just been, uh, you know, talking back to them and just disrespecting them. But they still know that, um, that I can still be used, my God, and they still love me because of that, and they still love me because, um, I'm their flesh and blood, and that's, that's the picture that we have with God's love for us, the best way that we can comprehend it um, at all is to see that God is our Father and he loves us. And so the things we do um, and the things that we sin in affect our personal spiritual health, but it does not affect the underlying relationship that we have with God. That relationship is still there. We still have that love from God. We still have that mercy and grace from God. All the shortfallings that we have in, in working for his kingdom in our lives, ourselves, come from our end of the table. And God is still in the same spot he's always been. He's reaching out to draw us back, and we're the ones that are running away. Um, so whatever position that we're in right now is, is 100% on our fault. And God says that no one can remove us from his hand, um, nor height, nor debt, nor principalities. So if no one can do that, then how do we expect to do the same thing? If no one can take us away from God's hand, how can we do the same thing? And so the Bible is one big redemption and love story that begins with us betraying God in the garden, even and him saving us from the pits of hell. Like I said, there are numerous parallels between the Old and New Testament from just Jesus fulfilling all the prophecies that were uh, prophesied about him to Jesus being the final sacrifice, the final blood sacrifice for us to the animal sacrifices that the, that the Jews had to make. And so the Bible... Points, the New Testament points to Christ, and the Old Testament points Old Testament points to Christ, and the New Testament, most of it, points back to Christ. So it all centers on Christ, but it's all written for us. It is a love story that is written for us and to us. So, um, so Paul, knowing this, um, he encourages Timothy and us, uh, kind of in turn, that God can use anyone by outlining his past sins and transgressions and contrasting them with the grace of God. So Paul has listed all these things that he's done. He was an opponent, he was a a persecutor, and he was a blasphemer. And he sacked them up on one side, and he says, nothing is compared to the mercy and grace of God on this side. That has allowed me to come back into his service. So the last point that I have is that God gives us power when we surrender to his call. Um, In verse 14, it says, But I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Jesus Christ. And so here in the first part of 12, uh, Paul once again makes it clear that his his coming to service of God is all on God's hands and not on his. <coughs> and God has granted him the power to fulfill that ministry. And he even states that the grace of God overflowed him with love and, and grace. Not It didn't satisfy him. It didn't just fill him up. It didn't... Just kind of his thirst, or however you want to look at it. It overflowed him, and out of that overflow, and out of that abundance, he's able to give to other people. And overabundance is a common theme with Paul in the Bible as a whole. Um, God always provides what is needed, and then blesses with even more. Um, and I guess the most ultimate example, obviously, is is with the sacrifice of Jesus. The earth needed a savior, and we humanity needed someone to pay our price for what we had done. And so God sent Jesus. And in John fourteen twenty five through twenty seven. I'm just going to read that one. You don't have to flip to it if I can find it. 14.25. Jesus is talking to his apostles. This is kind of where he's foreshadowing his death and foreshadowing leaving. He says, These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you things and bring your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace, I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, and neither let them be afraid. And so Jesus here is promising that after He leaves, there will be a, a greater um, a greater force on this earth than Him, and not greater in the sense of having more power. It's just that Jesus, while He was here, was obviously just limited to a a physical body. Um, he was limited to limitations of that body. While still being one hundred percent God, now the spirit has, has no limitations, the spirit can work and move in, in greater ways than Jesus could in his physical limitations and obviously this promise was fulfilled. The acts is filled with um, the book of Acts is filled with the apostles performing great miracles in the name of God um, and so God gave the earth and humanity what they needed at that time, which was Jesus, and then in turn he even gave them even more, which is given them a mission to complete in, in the uh, in the Great Commission, and then even giving them the power to complete that mission through the Holy Spirit. And so nothing can be done in God's name without the guidance of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit acts as our conviction. It tells us when we're doing something stupid, which for me is about 90% of the time I do anything. So, and he, he calls us back from our sins, and he tells us, you're doing this wrong. Um, this is not how you're supposed to act. This is not the actions of a godly person. And the Holy Spirit is God working directly in us in the presence that we feel in worship. And so I've already read through verse fifteen, I've kind of gone over that. And so in sixteen, it says, But I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost of sinners, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. So Paul has told us how he came to uh how he came to his ministry and how he is he has grown in his things through the strength of God, and now he tells us why he was called into his ministry. And it's it's just um just a classic ministry tale. I mean, God called Paul to show that through all of his shortcomings and through all of his sins, he was able to completely turn his life around, and make him a strong person, make him a strong person in the Lord, who is able to to fulfill his uh, his duty as as a minister. So that is why Paul is called to the service. And so, in verse seventeen, we kind of get Paul's reaction to all this. You know, I said earlier he's lined up all of the sins that he's he's committed against God and everything that he's done against Him. And he's put them up against God's mercy and grace, and obviously the mercy and grace are going to outweigh that. And he realizes this, and so he says, To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, and the only God, be honor and glory forever. Amen. Paul's only possible response to this was just to worship God, which is to fall on his face and worship God and say, You have called me out of this, all the bad things that I've done, and you have given me the power to complete so many good things in your name. Um, you're the only person who could have done that, and you're the only person who can, and will do that. And God, I you for that. And so God's calling in our lives. We each have a general calling when we become, um, in conclusion, we each have a general calling when we become a child of God. Uh, the The Great Commission is for everyone. We're all supposed to go out and evangelize and do that kind of things. But each of us are called to different degrees of ministry as well. Um, as it says in the New Testament, just, there are some that are preachers, there are some that are teachers, there are some that are... They're just servants of of Christ in the church, and so God has put a call in that in your life to fulfill those things, and He's going to give you the power to, to do that as well. So, to kind of wrap up. Um, God can call anyone into his service, and He can empower anyone in the service, which He has done. Um, and I'm sure me and and Brother Reese and my dad can give you examples of just of just Christ overcoming our personal shortfalls and and of fulfilling his purpose. And so the only response that we can have, just as Paul, is to worship God. We're supposed to just realize the extent of the mercy and grace that he's given us, comparing to our past sins, and just falling our face flat, and saying, we're not worthy, but you've given me this position to carry out everything good that you've done in me. Father, that's all I have. Um, I thank you for just allowing me to come here today, God, and and just lay out what's on my heart, Um, I may have stumbled, I may have paused awkwardly, God, but but you can overcome that. You can overcome where I mess up, God. I just thank you for all that you are and all that you've done in my life, God. I just thank you for the love that you've shown me in both your sacrifice of Jesus, God, and just my day-to-day life for allowing me to be here and allowing me to breathe. God, And I just thank you for all that you are. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.